We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a This week, Spurs' new stadium is ready to open, and it is a state-of-the-art affair. One of the most remarkable details of this stadium is the fact that underneath the football pitch is an NFL pitch, and so the football pitch is on rails and can retract as necessary for the NFL. Perfect for a team whose season routinely goes off the rails. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I don't script those openings, and sometimes they come off great, and sometimes they're terrible. This one, it didn't land the way I'd hoped, but you get the idea, because the wheels have come off the bus, the season has gone off the rails, and now they have a pitch that will literally be on rails to go off of. So I feel like that's perfect. Uh, Spurs will get to open their new stadium in a position they are familiar with below Arsenal in the table. It is... um. The return of the status quo, and I think we can all say that we are pleased about that. And here to discuss how pleased we are about that uh, is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello, indeed. Okay, so this is this is good. I mean, the football. And guys, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the football good? <laughs> I I the football might be good. Like I I think the football might be good, and it, it is. It is an encouraging development, I have to say. So we could certainly spend some time laughing at Spurs if we wanted to and Hugo Lloris, uh, you know, and Toby conspiring to lose them the points after playing well, it has to be said, against Liverpool, but uh, loss is a loss. Meanwhile, Arsenal had to wait about 40 weeks to get back on the pitch, but we did, and we did so in winning fashion. And Tim, I, I have to tell you, like, I was really, really impressed with this performance because while it wasn't electrifying, there was so much control. But I had a little concern 
pre-match because players were missing that maybe we didn't expect. Torreira still banned, but Shaka not available. Koscielny not available. Rumor that uh, Aubameyang had a fever, so he was left on the bench. Could you know not fit enough, I guess, to start the game. We went with the back three, but the back three lately has been employed in a way that's more attacking. For you, is it pretty clear now that as long as Ramsey and Ozil are in the starting eleven, everything's going to be okay? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I still think, um, as with Lacazette and Aubameyang, there will be some rotation of them. I, I don't think they'll both start every game. Um, I do think they'll they'll probably start the majority of games. I think Emery's kind of beginning to settle almost. Um, there's there's still a little bit of rotation within the unit, but I think he's th- found something he likes, particularly with this back three. And I've you know always been a little bit of an advocate of that with this squad but particularly with Maitland Niles and Kalasanac who, who I think are wing backs rather than full backs um so yes i mean the the fact that we're squeezing i mean effectively what's changed in the last kind of month and a half and why i think we're playing better football is because we've sacrificed you know a midfielder for an attacking midfielder um effectively um and and we've discussed that on previous pods but um, I, I think what this, I, I agree with you. I think this was an impressive performance. And what this was for me, you look around the age of most of that team and most of them are kind of between the ages of 28 and 32. And that's what that was to me. That was a team of guys like Ramsey, like Socrates, Monreal, you know, uh, and, and Ramsey and Ozil. And, you know, you're at the business end of the season where it's just all about results. Um, you know, and having that control over games and not being too hectic. And, and when you've got um, a lot of guys like that, of, of that kind of age and experience, who are playing well and are playing confidently, who've, you know, uh, perhaps been away, got a bit of sunshine, been together a little bit. You know, we, we have a surprising amount of players who aren't internationals. Um, so quite a few of them were able to get away. And, I you know, I, th- I think that that will have helped as well. They're in a good moment um, and, you know, kind of going away on a bit of a training camp when you're playing well and you are confident, I think is a really good thing. Um, and yeah, I, I, th- I, I think that that was largely what I expected. And what I, what I quite liked was we knew that Newcastle were going to come and sit in and we know they're very, very good at doing that. But I never felt at any point that we couldn't score against them. And not to say I, th- I felt like we could score at will or, or just, you know, walk through them. But I always felt we had, I always felt we had this game by the scruff of the neck. And even when that Ramsey goal was disallowed, maybe a couple of months ago, I'd have thought, ah, shit, that was our chance. Like, when's the next one going to come? But I I was quite calm. And I I think that's because I felt like the team was quite calm. I thought, you know, I I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, we're going to win this 5-0. But I thought, no, no, another chance will come along. Um, and yeah, and then when it came along, you know, you talk about that calmness, that that finish from Ramsey, um, you know, even two years ago, I think he'd have tried to burst the ball with that finish. And I think it that just shows you how he's grown as a player. But mm. that really kind of calm placement, he's just had a goal disallowed, possibly unfairly, um, but still just has the presence of mind to, to stroke that ball into the net. And I, I think what this was, was a, a mature performance by a mature team. Yeah, and, and I mean, you look at Ramsey. He spent a lot of the first part of the first half kind of helping Ganduzi through it, sitting back, tackling back, yep. uh, the first player to build the play from the, you know, getting the ball off the defenders and build play. And then he gets a goal disallowed where he's basically the deepest on a set piece. And then he has a goal that he scores where he collects the ball from Ganduzi on the edge of the area, flicks it 
you know, follows up and, and finishes from inside the box. So it just shows his versatility to spend, you know, part of the half as the deepest midfielder and, and supporting mm-hmm. the defense and his sort of young partner. And then part of the half is the most attacking player. Um, and that is, those are very hard combinations of, of qualities to replace and something that we can harp on another day. Don't need to harp on that right now. But, you know, Paul, I just want to get your opinion of something generally real quick. Basically what has changed. So we lose to Bate Borisov 1-0 uh, in Belarus. And since that time, Ramsey and Ozil have played basically every game after not having played for the better part of two months. I mean, hardly playing at all. Now, Ramsey had played in some of the big games throughout the season, but he had been particularly sparingly used in the run-up to that game uh, and Ozil as well. And now they've played, been basically ever-present since then. And Ramsey, who, who only played in central midfield one time, I can think of, I think it was Blackpool in the FA Cup, has now, I think, three consecutive games partnered midfield twice with Shaka and once with Gaduzzi. Um, you know, and, and maybe it is the Torreira ban that forced him into that, but it's a, a position he really has thrived at. And so I'm curious to get your opinion just generally. If you think that the Bate Borisov loss was a point where Emery just kind of said, that's it, I, I got to pick these guys and I got to get more out of my team going forward. Or do you, do you see any other possible explanation for, for their return to the team and, and becoming so relied upon by the manager? So I think what's different is not one thing. I think there's several things have changed here, and it's not all dependent on Ozil and Ramsey. I think uh, Emery now has options that work for him. He can play four at the back. He can play three at the back. It's not dependent on any one or two players. There was a time we, it seemed like without Chaka in the midfield, we couldn't progress the ball. Um we're we're still shot shy, which is kind of interesting. But mm. I I agree with the perception in this game that uh, we were taking it to them. We just you know I think we're very very careful at the moment with our shots. There are other games where where we're not. We're just we don't have that opportunity. But in this game, we were trying to get into the best situations. I mean, if we'd been given those other two goals that uh, you could strongly argue we were entitled to. We would have got four goals out of, what, nine shots or something. Um, well, yeah, to be fair, I guess we, we had, what, eight shots in the game. The two goals that were disallowed don't count as shots, right? Don't so that count as shots, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so it would have been four off ten, and that summarizes actually how we played. We were really trying to get into very good positions. Uh, and so, so what I think is going on with Emery is unlike the first half of the season where we were maybe playing with a four or a three at the back, um, it was because it was out of weakness, not strength. Now he selects a three at the back because we got our synchronicities down. We know the system. The players can be changed, rotated, uh, not quite at will, but to a large extent, and we still function, we still look good. And I think it's kind of second half of the season, things are clicking, there is that maturity. I mean, that's the beauty about somebody like Ramsey, who might have felt his nose at a joint in the first half of the season. He's just a class guy and he's professional. And it's not just that Emery's decided to pick Ozil or Ramsey. I mean, look at Ozil yesterday, putting in a shift, putting his body on the line for him, uh, getting stuck into challenges, chasing back. I mean, it's not just that he's decided to pick them. It's that they've 
uh, certainly in Ozil's case, come back on his terms. And in Ramsey's case, I think it's that he's a much clearer idea of how to use him. I think he did somewhat overlook his qualities early on in the season, and he could have been integrated more quickly uh, sooner. But it may well have been important that Emery puts his stamp on the team to play the way he wanted them to play, even if it took a long old time to build the confidence and to get enough results and to build the synchronicities. But I think he's just got options. I mean, even with Kishelny out, uh, we can play three at the back and kind of paper over some of Mustafi's issues and <clears throat> play to his strengths. <laughs> uh, we, but, we can leave that for another time. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Just thought I'd bait you a little. But I, I, I think it's more than one thing. I think it's we found we got Lack and Alba working together and firing up front with the we, we can play three up front with this three at the back and it can be a two with one behind them or one with two behind them. And it's all starting to work and confidence is growing. Yeah. I, look, I think the issue that's interesting is Ramsey has had, I think two of the best midfield performances for the team this season against United and against Newcastle um, at a position that he hasn't really been given the opportunity to play before that. And it's been while Torreira has been banned and Torreira's ban is over and Shaq will presumably be back and Ganduzi is available. And the question will be, does Ramsey keep this role? I don't know how you stop picking this formation or this midfield. Now, by this midfield, I mean Ramsey plus one with a back three. So Ramsey and Shaka most likely would be the first. And maybe that's harsh on Torreira or Ganduzi, but you know, we've talked about this. It's time of the season when maybe you rely on, on the experienced players who have been there and done it. And I say been there and done it. They've also been there and done it, meaning gotten us Europa League places. So it depends on how Emery's going to see it. Um, Clive, I want to get your thoughts on the way this midfield operated, particularly in the the first half, and then we can move more generally into things that happened. You know, we we didn't have a lot of shots, but on another day, Kolasinac could have had four assists. I mean, the guy got into so many dangerous positions that didn't result in goals because he just, his rangefinder on the crosses and the cutbacks wasn't quite on. But... Early in the game, it looked like the midfield model was two sitting deeper and let Ozil try to connect the play. And then we started to pull a boa constrictor move. And we just pushed them deeper and deeper and deeper. And Ramsey started moving further and further up the pitch. And ultimately, they couldn't live with that. Um, we overloaded the left half space a lot, and they were struggling with it. So how do you, how do you evaluate the play of, of the Ganduzi and Ramsey midfield in this game? Okay, so it starts from... The first minute, actually, and I can't believe that you. That's how a lot of the games do start, by the way. It's I I find that fascinating. They start from the first. I can't believe you've done all this talking, (laughs) and we've spoken about every player that we think's influenced, without mentioning the manager once. So I think he set us out brilliantly. So what he did at the start of the game was recognise that Newcastle are a very organised team, and the only way to to really unsettle them was to play with a higher intensity, move very quickly, run very quickly, pass very quickly, to try to just shake their organisation and their distances. And you can always tell from the first 20, you can tell from the first two minutes what the instruction is. The first, as soon as that game went off, everyone started sprinting, sprinting to the ball, sprinting to the press, getting the ball. When we had the ball, we moved it very, very quickly. So this is all about how can we get control? How can we discourage a team that really probably not targeting this game? It's probably one or two wins away from safety and beating Arsenal. They're probably not bothered. They'll get that win somewhere else, 
you know, Ralph is a, a statistician and he will pick a win somewhere. And the home game, get the win they need for to get them up to 38, 39 points. Right? So, so I thought that was smart. So we went out very, very quickly, very fired up. Got the first goal, should have been a goal, disallowed, but managed to sustain the game to a point, keep that intensity up to a level. And I think Ramsey scored just before we started to get, well, well, me maybe, started to get nervous. It was a lovely goal, and I love the care that he took with that finish um, to make sure he hit target and see what happens. And it went in, right? So, and once you get that control, Elliot, then you can go from a two to a one-one, you know, one behind, one in front, and yeah. you can start to progress the That's team. That's a great point, yep. So, so we played with almost like a box. It's like a a three, four, two, one, right? So you have two behind the forward. So you two midfields. So you got square midfield. You try to connect that way. But then if you can if you can get control, you can push. You know, you can push either Ramsey or Guendouzi further up, and you really are sort of almost you know you know a much more offensive you know formation when you're in possession. And if you lose the ball, you're forcing them to go long. You press them, they go long, get back to us. We've got a back three, safety net, waiting to catch the ball. We rotate around the back three and off we go again. Right. So so the pattern was set in the game in the first five minutes to get control. And once we had control, we could then start to do the things you spoke about, which was overload and overload high and double up and then overload on the left-hand side. I actually thought Kalashnik... Oh, I've done it again, haven't I? It's fine. Uh, just, just, just power through it. That's what I do. Kalashnik, <laughs> yeah. Kalashnik, they... Um, yeah, I thought he was a little bit wasteful with some of his final passes. Yeah, I, t- I totally trying, agree. Yeah, he was trying. To, he was trying too hard to be accurate, and um, and you know he just didn't quite connect. And I'm not sure I blame him. It just doesn't happen sometimes. And um, I mean, look, he he's, he's just not an accurate passer at the best of times. But he gets into a lot of positions to play cutbacks, and when they when they connect, they're high quality chances. Yeah, he gets lots of ooze from when he crosses, and he's a. He's a player that suits that role. And I, I do think he has a, a level of pass appreciation, sometimes too much. He's trying to be too perfect, but sometimes you just need to hit areas in the box and make people run onto it. And then once they understand what you're going to do, then they'll gamble earlier than the defender, and then they'll get chances. So um, so I think, I th- you know, I agree with a lot of what Paul said. We, we tend to want to look at selection, and what we must learn from this season, one thing that we're not up until maybe recently, guessing the selection has been very hard for all of us because we've taken each game as a separate story. So for me, it's multiple things. I think it's, a, I look at it differently. I look at it from a coach perspective. For me, it's preparation, how you attack games, how you look at teams' strengths and weaknesses and how you change how we play to do this. And I think what's happened recently has been that everyone's bought into whatever that game plan is. No one is saying, I play this way and I'm not changing how we play. And Ozil was a classic example. Some of the press conferences before the game spoke about Ozil's um, flexibility, that he can play on the right and the left of a almost like a front three. Mm. And guess what? He appeared not in the 10, but on the right of a, a front three and behind a centre forward. And so he's literally telling everyone what he's going to do if you read between the lines. And he's now got Ozil doing things that none of us thought he could do or wanted to do. And he's now trying to do. And he's he, he trying was, to he be was, more physical. Uh, Clear to point that out in the post-match press conference, by the way. I, I oh, believe did he? he said, I don't have yeah, I mean, account. I believe he said, you know what? I'm, it's funny. I don't pay a lot of attention to Emery's uh, press conferences anymore because I just feel that the language issues mean that you don't you don't get a lot from him. But he did say, we're, you know, basically we're getting what we 
what we need from it, from Ozil now. Yeah, he's getting what he needs from everybody, you know. And I think stylistically and as a group, they're bought into the game plan. And so I, I look, at, you know, I don't look at the and, names. And Ozil was enjoying that game, wasn't he, Clive? I mean, you could yeah. see it. He, it wasn't just his his bought in and he's playing along. He's enjoying his football again. The test will be. I'm sure you'll come on to it. We're going to go back to playing away from home. And what's his plan going to be away from home? Who are going to be his favoured people? Is he going to lean more towards Mkhitaryan in those hard running away games in the northwest of England? And that potentially could happen. But I wouldn't see that as a criticism of anybody. It just means we're doing something else on that day. Mm. And I think we just need to get away from, well, we've got to play him, we've got to play him, we've got to play him. What we have to do is we have to have a competitive team to win the game. And what do we need to do that? Let's not walk into a storm with the wrong type of people on the wrong type of day. Let's pick the right people for the right day. Let's accept it and move on to the other day when we got Napoli in a home European game. And there's a very good chance that some of the players that played last night that were prominent will play in that home European game. Yeah. Well, I should mention real quick, while, while you were talking, United did lose to Wolves. Um, and so they do not go above us in the table. Uh, oh, and devastate, devastating news. I'm really well, yeah, it's terrible. Luke Shaw was... Uh, Yellow carded. He will miss two. That's his 10th yellow card of the season. And Ashley Young was sent off. So he'll miss a game. They're in deep shit. Now, how that uh, uh, fares or compares with our um, predictions, Scott had them getting no points at Wolves. Paul had them getting one point at Wolves. Clive had them getting no points as Wolves. Tim had them getting three points at Wolves. And I had them getting one point at Wolves. So uh, that that's good news. That's good news. I just thought I'd mention it. Um, combined with, obviously, Spurs hilariously having the wheels come off the bus at the weekend. More good news. And, and Chelsea getting very, very lucky with refereeing. But that's another story for another time. Tim, I'm, I'm really interested in, in Lacazette's performance in this game because I thought he, he showed real leadership in the way he played. You know, he's a guy who... You know, I think some people absolutely love him. Some people prefer Aubameyang. But whatever you prefer, the work rate is impressive. I thought he showed a little bit of a burst that I hadn't seen mm. from him this season. And I wonder He's if maybe... running in behind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so Tim, you know, I wonder if maybe the, the rest and the time off helped him maybe you know, get a little more energy in his legs. Obviously, our strikers have played a lot of football this season across all competitions. But for me... Other than Ramsey, I thought he was really the standout player in this game. And, you know, not just popping up with the goal and the sort of assist, but just the way he harried and chased back and, and continued to run in behind and keep their center backs under pressure, especially playing a lot of the game as the lone man in the box. For you, was was it a standout performance for him as well? Yeah, absolutely. One of them, <clears throat> I guess one of the things um, about Lacazette is uh, I, I pretty much always like the way he plays. Uh, sometimes I think oh, I'd, I'd like you to carry a bit more of a goal threat, maybe just kind of nitpicking, but I, I always like his performances. I think you're right. I think this one carried a bit more of a punch, not just with the goal, um, but, you know, he had that, that brilliant chance, which Cleared he, off the he line, nearly yeah. took. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he nearly took brilliantly. And it, it was absolutely 0% his fault that he didn't. He did everything that he could have done there. It's funny, I thought he had I missed the opportunity the, the, the way he swiveled. Uh, well, I th the way he swiveled, I thought he had missed the chance. And then he swiveled on it so brilliantly and it went flying yeah. past the keeper, yeah. Yeah, and and I think um, so. I, I think a couple of th I think, first of all, you know, he's playing as a lone striker and he's got basically like, three number 10s behind him, um, effectively in, in Awobi, Ozil and Ramsey. Um, but I, I got in a little bit earlier than usual, about half an hour before kickoff, and I watched the warm-up, 
and um and actually the the warm-up can tell you quite a lot sometimes and one of the things um that i saw was just Ozil and lacazette on their own for about five minutes uh, on the edge of the box just practicing like bumping off passes to each other that hmm. one touch interesting stuff and we we see that a lot from them um actually and i i think probably what lacazette realized was first of all we're playing newcastle who are gonna sit back so you've kind of got to try and push them back towards their own goalkeeper um a little bit but also i think he he kind of realized right the the real number 10 that's that's behind me tonight is Ozil. so you know i i know what i've got to do in that scenario when it's um when it's ramsey in that like in that proper number 10 role behind him he tends to come out and leave space in behind so that ramsey can run in behind him and 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 that's one of the good things about lacazette and i I think one of the reasons, um, you know, we, we were saying on the, the kind of the Patreon pod about Lacazette and Aubameyang that Aubameyang's the one that makes the sacrifices in terms of position. <clears throat> and, and I think one of the main reasons for that is because Lacazette combines so well with whoever plays behind him, um, hmm. be it Ramsey or Ozil, he, he can do both of those things. And I think on this occasion, he's well, whether he thought, whether it was just the tactic that he was instructed by the manager, it was very much a case of, right, deep defence, Ozil's behind me tonight, um, Aubameyang's on the bench, so I'm not playing up front with him, I'm the main man tonight. Um, and, and yeah, and and I think we saw that combination between Ozil and Lacazette in Dubai as well, in that friendly. Um, you know, not to, I mean, well, that game was a training exercise, effectively, and what we saw through Barely, yeah. <laughs> was Ozil and Lacazette just trying to combine constantly. And uh, and I think that's a really interesting relationship that they had last season um, as well, that, that, that they've kind of been continuing. So I think there's a little bit um, maybe of the, shall we say, intangibles that Lacazette feels important. He feels valued. Um, I, I wrote a piece a couple of months ago kind of saying that it's it's been a bit of a bizarre season for Arsenal because so many long-serving players who are very popular have gone and then there's this kind of void because a lot of the squad's very new um, and we're kind of looking for new heroes and cult heroes and and Lacazette is one of those who has really really got the fans like the fans absolutely love him um, he, he's he's the one whose whose name gets sung the most um, inside the stadium, and and I, I so I think there's an element of intangibles. He he just feels a bit more important. But I, I also just think yeah. Go so, well, I'm just going to say. Remember, we used to always say that the the player that really enjoyed playing with Giroud a lot was was Ramsey because yeah. he liked to have someone he could run past, and that that suited Giroud's game. Do you think that maybe the Ramsey Lacazette relationship is similar? I mean, obviously, I'm saying that yeah. post hoc with with the way the goal was scored, but that. The, having a midfielder who will run beyond the striker and go deepest suits Lacazette really well. Yeah, yeah, and and it suits Ramsey um, as well. It's it's not a huge coincidence. Ramsey had a great goal scoring season last season. I think a lot of that was because um, Lacazette's very good at making space um, for people. He's good at doing like that near post run, for example, and taking a defender with him. I think when Lacazette moves in the box, he isn't just thinking. How, how does the ball get to me? 
um, he, I think he thinks a bit more holistically um, about things when he moves in the box. He kind of thinks probably primarily because all strikers will think, well, how do I get the ball? But I, I reckon somewhere in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, if I don't get it and I take this guy for a walk over to the front post and leave some space in behind me, then all the better. I'd, uh, with, with the Everton game coming up this Sunday, I'd advise people to go back and watch the highlights from last season's game. Um, where I think Lacazette scores, but Ramsey scores in that game. And, and exactly what I'm talking about happens where we get a bit of a break and Ozil gets to the, the byline and Lacazette just makes a lovely run to the front post, takes two Everton centre-halves with him and just leaves Lacazette all on his own six yards out. And, and, and I think I think that's the thing. Lacazette's, he's he's uh, kind of fostered good relationships with, with a couple of players. And yeah, he was, like I say, I think he always plays well, but sometimes I'd like to see more threat from him. But we saw that threat last night. Yeah, and, and I will I will forgive you, Tim. I assume it's the bad Wi-Fi in the stadium, which is the reason you watched the warm-up instead of the Arsenal Vision live YouTube show pre-match. So <laughs> no problem. Totally understand. If you don't have the Wi-Fi, what can you do? Paul, I have a question specifically teed up for you, but I can hear Clive coming through my headset trying to tear my head off because we're talking about Lacazette and I can't freeze him out of that discussion. So just bite down on a piece of leather or something for one second, Paul. And and Clive, do you want to chime in on the Lacazette performance? He's on mute. There was a big moment and he's on mute. Man, that uh, oh, sorry. That's a classic. That's classic Clive of the genre. Clive is on a mute. Uh, yeah, Clive is on a mute in his hotel room. I, oh, dear. I, didn't, re- I, I didn't realize. No, I, I just think it's very simple with Lacazette. I think his career is almost in in two slices. It was you know since before his injury and since his injury. I think he carried that injury in his first season for quite a while. He had the operation. He's come back, and since then he's got stronger, stronger, and stronger. He's got more physical. He's got more presence. He's got more threat. He's got more team play, more leadership, and he's more consistent. And I think he's been—he's you know—he was a leader at Lyon, and he's becoming a leader at Arsenal. And, he's, and I think he's only going to improve. And I do think the injury was—he was, he was misdiagnosed. I think he was carrying it when we needed him. Abamian came in, and he could just take some time out. And I think since then, he's been, you know, much better. It cost him his World Cup, but he's been he's been great for us because, you know, France are not playing him. We don't respect him. I think he'd be perfect in that team. Um, but it's great for us because he gets rested. He's fresh. He gets two weeks off. And, I, and yeah, I think he's a I love team players. You know me. It's all about team. And he's somebody that absolutely works for the team. Gives everything he's got in every single game. And he seems to just, um, like a lot of them, they seem to care a bit more at the moment. You know, I don't... spiky, isn't he, Clive? Yeah, I just don't see the individuality. I don't see what we used to see. I used to... I used to hate it. I used to moan about it from, you know, Ozil and Ramsey and even and Sanchez up to a point. Players that I felt were playing a little bit for themselves and competing against each other rather than competing with each other. And now I see a team competing together... And I guess what I don't have the same criticisms or narratives going in my head because I see that all in one direction. And, and Lacazette sets that example to me, but he's not alone in any which way. There's many, many more like him at the moment. And I just hope it continues. Yeah, same. I, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting. You always worry. You know, as fans, we worry like, oh, we were playing so well and now there's this two-plus-week break and it's going to impact our... our um, 
momentum, right? That's sort of a fan view. The real view is probably a little more that, hey, we have quite a few older players in the squad, and having two and a half weeks off in the tail end of the season is really handy. And I thought Lacazette looked really fresh and energetic in this game. So it was a delight to see. Paul, okay, so I want to talk Ganduzi for a moment before we take a break. Mm. This is an interesting performance because I think it divided opinion a little bit. There are some people that already thought he was poor, and there are some people that thought he was the man of the match. And I think the reason is it was a very un-Ganduzi performance in the sense that some of his touches on the ball were poor, and he got caught on the ball a bit, which, you know, again, is something that he maybe has to just work on getting out of his game. But I thought off the ball, he was tremendous. The way he broke up play, the way he um, got in the way of passing lanes. I think for the second goal, he's the one who wins the ball back um, before delivering the straight ball in to Lacazette, who then flicks it to Aubameyang, who heads yep. it over. So, you know, I mean, for you, is is this... Have I seen that game right, that maybe not his best on the ball, but phenomenal off the ball? Or, or maybe I'm not giving him even enough credit. Well, I think even on the ball, he, he, look, he was a mixed bag. But this was a game in which you turned the dial up on risk-reward. Uh, we had He had three centre-backs behind him, so if he lost the ball, um, he arguably had the cover required. And... You know, one of the things he does very well is ride a tackle, spin around and and gallop into open space, which, you know, we needed to catch uh, Newcastle with their pants down, God forbid, um, <laughs> as often as we could in this game because they wanted to sit back. They wanted to keep it compact uh, early on. Uh, I was not that impressed with Newcastle overall, I got to say. Yes, they well, were I think on XG they had like point zero four. They just had brought no attacking threat at all. Yeah. Now, in the first maybe third of the game, they came to play, at least in the sense of pushing forward and pressing and putting pressure on Genduzi in particular. He was the guy they seemed to get their claws into. And, you know, Ramsey was his counterpart, but somehow they never really got close to him. It was almost like they had targeted Genduzi. Um, may, maybe it's just the way the cookie crumbled, but... Uh, Look, he, he got caught a few times and a couple of his touches and one or two passes were off. But what I thought he did particularly well was when he he rolled his man or he, he got past his man, he opened up the play for us. And without Chaka, my, your concern sometimes is how are we going to spin that ball up and progress it quickly? And I thought some of his passing forward uh, kind of filled that gap that Chaka uh, normally provides. I love the guy. I think... A 19-year-old is going to make some mistakes. I don't think can do... You know, if you think about Chaka getting pressed in this game, he probably might have got caught as often as Ganduzi was. But overall, I think it was a risk-reward that was worth taking. His decision-making will get a little better over time. But I think he's going... We can see the seeds of why he's going to be... Could be a great midfielder for us going forward because he's got something none of our other guys have he he can dribble he can beat a man he can uh roll a tackle and sprint sprint into the space so uh and, and he's got a good ball on him like you say uh, on the uh second goal uh does kind of kick off with him he drops into the middle into the, the, the first goal circle. the first goal starts with him too by the way i mean he feeds yeah. the pass into ramsey that ramsey flicks to lacazette yeah he does a lot of the continuity stuff he's really busy um 
you know, he's a bit of a nomad. He does travel around, and he was fairly disciplined for him in this game, but he's going to move around. I mean, it's a bit nerve-wracking for me still if I see Ramsey and Ganduzi as the the two center mids. So I don't think we'd be playing this 11 every time, but this was the right game for it because we had to create going forward, and they had the three behind them. Uh, It should have been good enough, So and it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think between those two attacking central central mids and Ozil uh, using the space he got, you know, it was maybe Iwobi who had the little bit quieter game. It was a quiet game for those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, to- I totally agree with that, and I think that's partly because I don't know that Iwobi really knew the role he had. I mean, we had so many possession-oriented players between Ramsey and Ozil and Ganduzi, um, you know, players who could keep the ball and hold the ball and. And I think a lot of times the ball bypassed Iwobi to get to Kolasinac. And and so I'm not saying Iwobi didn't play well. He did his usual thing. When the ball was fed to him, he held it well and he was strong. But I don't think he had the clearest plan of what he was supposed to do in that game, in that structure. The thing I'll say is, you know, I think Ganduzi did well. And also, it is very, very different playing alongside Aaron Ramsey than it is Lucas Torreira, mm-hmm. right? I mean, those are different roles. With Torreira, it's going to be Ganduzi's role to step forward into the you know advanced attacking midfield and and really help build the play and with Ramsey he's going to have to shield a little more and so I thought he grew into the game well I thought he did really really well off the ball the thing that we've been doing so well the last few games that I I think has made a big difference on our defending too is the way we're breaking up play on the front foot the way we're um, pressing locking up passing lanes our spacing across the pitch just looks good, and I think it's a better way for us to defend than to expect our defenders individually to win their duels because, obviously, they're, they're not and the best. We recovered so many balls in this game. We were on everything. We got every second ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, you know, I, I kind of bitch a little bit that I expected more pressing from us, but in terms of an overall plan to recover the ball immediately... Uh, every player was on it in this game. The crowd as mm. well. I mean, the 12th man thing, I'd love to get Tim's take on it a little bit. But this was m- the most enjoyable uh, match, I think, this season for me in terms of just the mood of the crowd, uh, the fun, the be- getting behind the team, a little bit of nervousness, but nothing undue. I, I thought that aspect of this game was particularly enjoyable. Yeah, I, th- I think um, the the moment that really kind of um, that resonated with me was when Mustafi, you know, that yeah. really good run and then absolutely, you know, just sends the ball into orbit. I think I'm right in saying it was still one nil at that point. It, so it still was like, a you know, what helped him period of the game is that yeah. instead of Aubameyang throwing an absolute fit about it, he just starts laughing just hysterically. Laughs. And I think that transmitted to the crowd. But, but yeah, because well, everyone kind of went, oh, but then there was like, um, you know, quite a good humoured round of applause afterwards. And, you know, Mustafi had a few moments in the game where the crowd, perhaps if results hadn't been so good lately, he it feels like I, I've said for a long time that actually it's kind of um, and when I say strange, I don't mean like unduly strange because so it should be. But it's kind of strange that the crowd hasn't really turned on Mustafi yet. It's it's been more of like um <laughs> Because I'm doing all the heavy lifting there, Tim. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is, like, it's much more of an internet thing than a stadium thing. And and there are a few like that where, like, how players are talked about on the internet and how they're regarded in the stadium aren't always the same thing. And, and with Mustafi, I've always been, you know, for the, the last year or so, I've been thinking he's been getting a lot of flack, like, online, but it has not 
like penetrated in the stadium at all like i never hear people shout at him or anything like that um but but there were a couple of like <laughs> fairly dodgy moments in this game on the ball not with his own one defending. back pass yeah. that was like holy shit it was almost yeah, like an assist. yeah <laughs> and it was the first time i'd heard and i thought oh here we go like the worms kind of turned and so when he did that i was expecting that and so i yeah it, it was actually quite nice that everyone I guess saw the funny side a bit, but then just like applauded the effort because he did bust an absolute gut to get in that position. Yeah, it was a good, and good I dribble, think, good run. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think in the end he was either overexcited or just knackered or something. But, but yeah, it's it's like you always say, say Paul, good results fix everything, and uh, I, I think you're getting a sense of trust between the crowd and the team now. Look, I am itching to talk about underwear, but Clive has messaged me that he's got Ganduzi stuff. So, Clive, I'm 30 seconds from oh. talking about underwear. Chime in. <laughs> no, Ganduzi's got a couple of... He's going through the next phase of his career, right? So, he, t- he turned up, 19, running around our midfield, hair flowing in the wind. This is easy. No one's marking me. No one's targeting me. Let me get on the ball. Let me split passes. Let me run around a lot. And let me, let me, you know, establish myself in the club and with the fan base. Now he's getting to phase two of his career when people actually rate him. And I felt he was the pressing trigger last night. I felt when the ball was fed into him, Newcastle were going for him. And he was suffering with the, the old thing, get your wing mirrors on, his shoulders were square. He doesn't really receive the ball well in the half turn. His instinct is to protect and try to buy a foul. And he has to remember this is England. And sometimes referees like that bloke, Anthony Taylor, just decide, well, you're a top six club. You should be staying on your feet. Play on. Right? So he's got to be wary of that. And so he he got targeted. Once he got his shoulders facing the right direction, and we started to go forward. He was fine. He just got to focus on his first touch, make sure he frames the ball, protects the ball better. And, you know, if actually what I would do if I was him, I would say to the coach, I would say to him, move the ball one touch early in the game, discourage the press. Once you've created the space, then you can turn around and start to stroke the ball, feel the ball. He reminds me very much of a young Ram, so he just used to like, I felt used to like to just touch the ball two or three times and he'd run into other people's space and give it to them, then lend it to them and have to give it to him back. He's far better tactically now, Ramsey. And I think Gwendoza is doing that a bit. He's running to the ball to people, give it to them and crowding them and having to then do a big tackle to retrieve the situation. So, yeah, I just think he's a player that's learning. He's going for a different phase of his career. He's getting a reputation and he will be in other people's assessment of Arsenal and they will target him and he has to adjust his game to overcome that. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. But I mean, the encouraging thing is he's been out of the squad for a bit. He comes back in, he performs. But like, do you remember the preseason match we played against Chelsea? Um, mm-hmm. They just ran right by him. I mean, the entire game, I think the thing he did the most was just turn his head to watch runners go past him. And mm-hmm. I think what's really changed is his appreciation of being in passing lanes, being in space. And you know what? Look, I thought he got real lucky in this game in one respect. He could have had three yellow cards. He had a couple of fouls that were right on the edge, but he was not afraid to commit the foul when when he was beaten or when there was a dangerous situation. I thought that that shows a lot of maturity, and he did it in a way where he was able to kind of get away without the card. And I think that there, those dark arts are important. And I, and I think he's, he's starting to master that, and it's beautiful to see. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. A uh, couple of quick things to tell you. We have made the finals of the FBAs. 
We are an FBA finalist. What does that mean? That means we could win Best Podcast, which we did last season because you guys rule, and we would love to do it again. Um, and if you would keep voting for us and it happens again, we're all going to show up in London and go to this big event and, and drink lots of drinks and meet you for drinks, and uh, then we will all sleep in the gutter and it'll be beautiful. So, and, and hopefully it will time out perfectly with our celebration for finishing ahead of Spurs and winning the Europa League. So would all be good things in Arsenal land if that could happen. Uh, another thing we should let you know is that we... We have a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, we've been doing a lot more YouTube shows, so you can check us out there if you want. There's some great stuff on Patreon, and if that's not for you, we totally understand, and, and we love you for being here anyway. But uh, it is there if you're interested, and, and we appreciate you if you do. So let's take a break. Let's talk underwear. When we come back, we'll talk about the second half, the run we're on, what we expect coming up, and maybe even a little bit about the defense. Is that possible? We'll see. We'll stay with us. We'll be back. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed. The E N C L O S E D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month Club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month Club, only better because it's a high end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. All right, we're back. Hope we got you sorted out with something sexy. And now we'll sort you out with some sexy analysis. How about that? How about that for a transition? Terrible? Well, that's what you're getting. Sorry. I'm a little rough around the edges, a little rusty. We haven't, uh, we haven't had anything to pot about in a couple weeks, so it's good to have this back. And let's dive in again, Tim. The second half, I think, is the kind of second half that could be really nervy. It never really felt nervy because I thought we had a lot of control over the game and because Newcastle really didn't bring a lot of attacking intent. Having said that, one thing I think has changed, and maybe this is narrative and you can disabuse me of it if so, but be gentle. I think Emery has started to lean into our strength being the attack. And the reason I say that is his substitution patterns have changed. As far as I can tell, he is now making more aggressive substitutions, bringing on attacking players for you know, uh, uh, midfielders. Uh, he brought in Aubameyang for Iwobi, which I thought was a really smart play. Iwobi was struggling to get into the game. We needed another player to get on the end of moves because Lacazette was starting to look a little isolated in the box. And he makes that change, and it leads to another goal. And I thought Aubameyang was just off creating or scoring a couple other goals. He had that one cross in the box. He just didn't quite get his foot to. He had the cross that he delivered to Lacazette, but the keeper was able to cut it out. Do you feel that Emery might be leaning into our attacking identity more, not just with the starting lineups, but with his substitution patterns, and, and that's for the best of the club? Timote? Timo Timote? I'll tell you this while we're waiting for Tim. Well, he, he's on mute. I can see the mute. Everybody, I want to tell you something. So, I appreciate the professionalism of all of you guys to be on mute when you're not speaking. Um, we just need to now convert that professionalism. It's like a process, right, to <laughs> unmuting 
when the time comes, which is fine. So, Paul, yeah. thank you for trying to vamp. Don't need it. We're going to go right to Tim. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I don't usually mute, but we've got company tonight, so there is some background noise. Anyway. Wait so a humble brag about having friends. <laughs> so, um, actually, I do kind of think he was doing that at the beginning of the season. I, I think what changed – I think in the middle – um, of the season perhaps Emery was kind of thinking oh wow we really can't defend can we what do we do about this um, but also uh, he did kind of lose some options so I think um, losing Mkhitaryan to injury um, was was pretty unfortunate um, and really what we could have done with was having that Denis Suarez loan in like December and January because it, it's at the moment it's not much use where it had been it had almost had like um, would have been really nice to do it retrospectively somehow but and and then there was also you know Ramsey wasn't playing he kind of particularly for away games um, didn't want to play Ozil so actually we had far more limited options anyway and it meant we had to play Bamiang and Lacazette all the time um, together uh, without too much ball progression around them and and, and I, I don't well the options were there but perhaps he didn't quite want to use them for reasons that weren't entirely football reasons whereas now you look at our bench and it's you know you I that was another reason I was really confident at kickoff. I just thought, if after 60 minutes this isn't going well, you know, Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan, what a double substitution that could be. Um, and, you know, regardless of the game state, those, those are those are really good substitutions. And I think you're right about the Aubameyang one. It, it was a fantastic substitution, not because Aubameyang came on and played absolutely brilliantly and changed the game in and of himself. It was just, um, it was a smart defensive and attacking move. It was just at that stage of the game where Newcastle, Newcastle would have had a plan for going one nil down in the first half. Rafa, you know, Rafa would have had like all these scenarios played out and I'm sure their plan would have been right. If we one nil down at half time, let's just try and keep it one nil until the last kind of, 25 20 minutes and try and open up a little bit more and it, and it just seemed like Emery um not quite double bluffed him I guess but he had a plan as well he kind of uh, anticipated that and thought right at the minute you think you're going to open up and try and get us I'm going to bring on um you know a guy who's going for the golden boot who can who can run um, basically on on the left hand side and that's why um, one of the things I thought about during the second half was at one stage I think we had exactly the same attack um, in exactly the same kind of setup that we had in the Newcastle away game where we had Aubameyang on the left Ozil kind of on the right Ramsey kind of in that number 10 and Lacazette up front and it looked awkward as hell back in September at Newcastle and we saw it a few times and we're all sitting there saying this doesn't work those players don't work in that formation and all of a sudden six months later we're using the same players in the same positions and and actually it looks it looks much more fluid they look they all looked much more happy um, but yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. I think he has leaned back into into the attack a bit more. But I, I do think he was kind of doing that to start with. And I, I think there were kind of other things going on that weren't all about tactics, mm. perhaps, um, yep. that stopped him from doing it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, but you know what, Tim, like you could see maybe a few months ago. And again, this could be totally me just seeing it the way I want to, which would not be the first time. But like 
maybe it would have been Dennis Suarez for Ozil, right? Or mm. Dennis Suarez for Awobi, like for like, and just try to keep more control of the game, or try Mkhitaryan. to win it one nil. Yeah, well, Mkhitaryan I would have even considered a, a pretty much attacking move, but like it seemed clear that Emery understood that the best way to win this was a second goal, not trying to protect the first goal. And, you know, I like that because I do think that that is the thing that we're probably going to be more likely able to win with. And it may not have mattered on this day where Newcastle offered very little, but especially going into some of these away games, if he holds his nerve and keeps playing like this, I think leaning into getting the extra goal is going to pay more dividends than leaning into defending a lead. Uh, The other thing we should point out just quickly, we had a halftime lead again. That is eight consecutive games in all competitions since the Bate Borisov loss where we have been leading at halftime. After, what, going 18 games this season before we had our first halftime lead? I don't think it can be overstated how important it is that we are playing better from the start. And I think maybe leaning on the experience of Ramsey and Ozil and the extra attacking intent they provide is contributing to that. Again, maybe post-hack analysis, but what am I if not a hack analysis? Um, uh, So, Paul, just super quick, I think... You know, the, the the referee, I should have saved this for Tim because it's sort of his specialty, but we'll, we'll go over the refereeing stuff with you anyway. Um, I'll, I'll warm it up. Okay. Tim can polish it up. I know, he, I know he likes to do that. Look, Anthony Taylor, he I don't think he has any biases one way or the other. I don't think any of us believe in that sort of thing, but this wasn't a great performance. He got two big disallowed goal calls that may have been wrong or may not have been wrong. I am sort of sympathetic to the first. I'm not sympathetic at all to the second. Just quickly... Do you think he was right on either of them? And if so, why so? If not, why not? No, I don't. I don't think he was right on it. Uh, I mean, the first one, it's just fatuous. Uh, tug on the sleeve. I mean, my God, if if they're calling that. <laughs> That's the Shaka red card at the halfway line of it'll never be a foul again rules. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And And so early in the game. Uh, clearly a reaction to all the shit that happened at the weekend, which is kind of to Tim's point. The the backlash of hammering on the refs and the PGMOL or whatever it is, is that the pendulum swings the other way and they're calling every fucking thing. Only it'll always be Arsenal who gets caught in the crossfire just because. Not because there's particular bias. It's just we just don't do well on refereeing decisions. Um when they're letting everything go, then we get massacred. When they, do you, do you remember that time they decided they were going to call uh, to, uh, wrestling in the box from from game one of the season? What was that? Two seasons ago, yeah. and like we were the only guys who got called for it. And the same with uh, you know the Chaka thing was another one of those, as you said, where we're the only guys who fucking got called for it. Now I don't think. There is no conspiracy against us, but I never like these refereeing swings or these pendulum swings because just the fucking Murphy's Law or Arsenal's Law, we never do well out of it. I thought he had a terrible, terrible fucking game. Absolutely abysmal. Uh, I think there's zero bias. And fortunately, uh, all it did was stop us from scoring four goals and we only scored the two. So. I mean, it's funny because across the board, referees didn't really help us out. The Chelsea game, another example where yeah. you know we, we maybe didn't get help, helped out either. But you know, you make your own luck to some extent. I know that's a cliche and probably not a true cliche, and so let's ignore it because it's not true. You do not make your own luck. What the fuck does that even mean? How would you make your own luck? Stop it. Clive, we played with Mustafi and we survived. I think the only yeah. way you play with Mustafi and survive is if you have other people around who are doing their job well. And I, I think Socrates did his job really well. You want to praise the old man? 
Or he's uh, not even that old. He just looks like an old man. You want to praise the old-looking man? I thought his he used his body well. He's physically he he recovered his position well, and he didn't get too bullied by Rondon. I mean, a little bullied, but for the most part, I thought he did really well. He did okay. I actually thought he oh. started the game. Okay. I thought I thought he started the game not so good. I. I worry about him when he plays in the center or back three. I think he gets bored watching other people smashing into people. I think he wants to do it's stuff. It's rare for a central defender at Arsenal to ever get bored. Usually they've got plenty yeah. to keep them occupied. Yeah, this was a game to get bored. And this reminds me of the game where he got sent off. I felt he was bored in that game. He went looking for trouble and he found yeah. it. And, um, Mustafi and uh, Nacho were much busier in terms of yeah, exactly. and passes and... I actually tweeted out, we should swap it. Uh, we should swap it over, get Socrates on the right and get Mustafi in the middle because I feel that Socrates wanted stuff to do. And Mustafi, uh, I've always quite liked him in the centre of a back three. I think he's quite, he has got a bit of organisational skills. I know the narrative is to, is to kill Mustafi, but I tend to judge him. <laughs> I mean, what wait, he, wait a minute, is that an option? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I judge him on what he does on the day. And on the day... He's, 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 done a, he's done a 7 out of 10 performance. He had a couple of dodgy moments. Very easy to explain. All about his first touch, not preparing his second touch, and him getting caught in decision-wise. And I think a lot of that, you have to always look at the cause and the effect. There are, with players like Koscielny and Shaka out of the team, you lose a lot of good decision-making from those two players. And I think it makes everybody a little bit um, not quite as decisive and solid when it comes to decisions. This is where someone like Ramsey, I felt this is the best thing for me, that he stepped up and said, don't worry, lads, I've got you. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to now take over the Shaka role, give it to me. Doing nothing spectacular, but just supporting his teammates by being that release valve. And again, I keep talking about style and, and intent and team play. That's why you won't hear criticism from me about Rams at the moment because he's doing that side of things. And Mustafi, I think um, with Socrates, I felt that Mustafi started better. Socrates then grew into the game. Once he became more active, I think he was um, he was fine. But I think there's better games for him to come. I was watching the game behind the set, thinking, please don't get booked because we need you for these away games. We can't go to... You know, to Watford, Wolves, you know, Leicester. We need, um, sorry, we need Socrates and we need um, Koscielny to play those games. If we have them, I think we're going to have the security to only maybe concede the odd goal. And I think we've got the ability to score more than the odd goal. And I think that's really critical for our running. So I know people are, are relying on him and they're criticising Mustafi, but I tell you now, given what we've got coming up, there is no way that Koscielny can play all of these games in, in tight succession in April. So we better start loving Socrates and Mustafi and hoping Socrates doesn't get banned because we need them. We need all, We need both of them. Yeah, well, I mean, Tim, can I ask you just a quick question? I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's leaning into uh, a topic that's unnecessary on the day. But have we reached the grading on a curve point with Mustafi where he has a decent second half? To be totally fair, I thought he played fine in the second half. And that is enough for us to be like, see, he was good. Why does everybody hate him? He was good. Like, have we reached the grading on a curve moment here? 
Uh, yeah, maybe. I I thought he was pretty much the same as he always is, which is um, 90% of the time absolutely fine. Um, but <laughs> but you just have that sense that he's, you know, like that bit in The Simpsons where everyone's staring at Homer and they just say, get ready, everyone. He's about to do something <laughs> stupid. It's it's kind of like that. And that's why I felt like Mustafi was... I, I don't... I, don't feel like he played any different to normal where i thought yep there's some really good stuff there broadly he defended uh, you know i can't think of anything in a defensive sense that he didn't do well he was a little bit loose shall we say in possession a couple of times completely unnecessarily under no pressure um but uh, yeah maybe we are there because Maybe we look for it, and maybe I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not so convinced, actually. But I was going to say maybe, maybe like um, you know, it becomes almost like a confirmation bias thing when you when you're doing that. Get ready, he's about to do something stupid. Um, but I, I don't, I just don't sense that other defenders at the club or even in the top six really do that. So um, I, th- I think it, it's almost a bit like Xhaka in the. Although I think Mustafi is a worse case, it, he kind of is what he is. Um, and when you're, you know, when you're dealing in sixth and fifth place in the Premier League, you have to put up with um, some flaws of some players sometimes. But I think what Arsenal are hoping to do is to get into a position where they don't have to tolerate um, certain flaws uh, from certain players. And and yeah, maybe we have just hit that curve with Mustafi where we think, well, he'll probably be okay for about 88 minutes and let's just hope that his his brain fart isn't, um, you know, isn't too damaging yeah. when it comes. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. You know what it is, though, Tim? So, like, I almost analogize him to Almunia in a way in that yeah, yeah. there are certain positions on the pitch where the mere fact that you have a major error in you is yeah. not acceptable and that you'd almost rather a lesser player who doesn't have a major error in them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Al- yeah. I think, I think that's a really good comparison actually, because Almunia most of the time was a perfectly good goalkeeper. You know, he wasn't top class, but most of the time, perfectly good. Um, it's a fine shot. Stopper. You know, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Not, not, you, you wouldn't identify like a technical weakness in his game what you'd say is exactly what you've said. Like he's got an error in him. Um, and I'd say the same about Mustafi. I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything technical I would point at and say, Oh, maybe if you know, he showed, showed his man onto his weak foot a bit more. Like I, I don't, I, I feel like he's got most of the tools, but there's that. There, I don't know. There's, there just seems to be a switch in the brain somewhere. Um, and I'm not sure you get rid of that really. Yeah, I, I mean, as someone, as someone who has a switch yeah, yeah. in the brain, uh, I will tell you that you really can't flip it. it just, it's just locked in that position. Um, <laughs> Paul, real quick, as far as Maitland-Niles goes, I mean, I think when he went down, thankfully he got back up. Uh, he goes down and, and he gets back up again. You're never going to keep him down. He gets knocked down. He gets back up again. You're never going to keep him down, uh, as the great Chumbawamba once said. But <laughs> um, Ainsley Chumbawamba, Ainsley Chumba, Maitland Niles, conservative, London. Um, I mean, look, I don't think he's amazing 
at this position. But I think he has qualities in this position that we desperately need, given how important fullbacks are to the attack. And though we still had a tremendous left side bias, there were times when he was able to step past a man and step into midfield. I also think one of the things he does really well for someone who's not naturally a defender is he stands up and tackles well. He doesn't go to ground. He doesn't get beat a lot. Um, Given the the deficiencies in Licksteiner, which is a polite way of putting it, and Jenkinson, and obviously the the loss of Bellerin being such a problem. Do you think that Maitland-Niles has demonstrated enough quality at that position now that we can move it from major shortcoming slash huge problem to at least handled in a way that's that's competent? Yeah, and I mean, it fits in under the previous conversation of what's changed from before. We Our worst period of the season, the season at which we were all becoming most concerned and disillusioned was when we had no right side. Uh, and now Maitland-Niles gives us one. Now you can quibble about is it good, very good, great, uh, fl- good but flawed, but we have a right side. Um, he is a threat. He can get up and down. Uh, he's a very physical factor that the other side can't ignore because if they do, he will actually bang in some pretty decent low crosses, kind of Kalasinac style. I think the other thing I really liked about him in this game uh, was he did, uh, I wouldn't say he was doing the Pep Guardiola thing, but he's comfortable moving into midfield. He did that a couple of times and maybe it was just accidental. Maybe the play just brought him in there, but there were a couple of times where I don't know if he swapped with Ozil or something. Ozil came out to the wing and he took the opportunity to step into midfield and bring the ball across the field. And in, I think the last game, uh, he was covering back and tracking another player across midfield. So it's, one of the nice things to have, and we do see that with Bellerin, is a a wing back who's actually comfortable going to the byline, which he obviously is, and going in midfield, joining some of the plays, showing some of his skills. He's got some good tricks. Um, he's got a li- he's building a little confidence there on the ball. So I can't imagine that if he keeps playing, he's not actually going to produce more for us and play better for us as the season goes on and you know in certain games teams will know that the threat is coming from Kalasinac so you've got to have at least a reasonable jab coming from the other side even if that's your your roundhouse punch so I think he brings us a lot and he's one of the three or four factors you could say uh, that that explain why we're now actually looking like the business and actually looking like we can take this this run in over the line and explain why we're out where we're out. Yeah, and and I mean it's because look in um in baseball I think it is, and I'm not really a baseball fan. Sorry, baseball fans, and sorry for all the people who abuse me by saying stick to baseball. Um, I apologize <laughs> for not living up to that stereotype, but I think there's something called wins above replacement, and it's meant to suggest like how much better you are with player X versus what the average replacement player would be. And I think while Maitland-Niles has been fine, certainly fine, I think his distance in quality versus the alternative, which is Licksteiner or or Jenkinson, is pretty significant. I think that Maitland-Niles playing well is a big jump 
from Licksteiner or Jenkinson at the level they are, um, especially Licksteiner. So I think that that makes a big difference. Even if he is not elite at the position, he is a big step up at the position from what we've had there. And Clive will probably and get arguably, mad. arguably, we wouldn't be able to play three at the back without him either. So Yeah, I agree. I mean, the three at the back was definitely a conservative uh a conservative setup the way we were using it through sort of the December time period, largely because of who we were using it with. I, I thought it was, Clive. I mean, I think earlier, the, the three at the back, when we did it with Ganduzi and Torreira and, and Shaka, um, you know, I thought it was more conservative. But I think the way we're using it now, I think, is a much more attacking version when we've done it with Ozil behind Aubameyang and Lacazette or when we've done it with Lacazette or Aubameyang by themselves with Mkhitaryan and... and uh, will be on either side with with Ramsey and, and Ozil in midfield. Those are much more attacking setups. But I think I agree with Paul that we are only able to do that in part because we have some balance thanks to Maitland-Niles. You disagree. I only know that because you no, are deeply I, groaning I, at me. So why don't you explain what you disagree with? Well, it's, it, I just think there are multiple reasons why that formation could be deemed um, negative or positive. And yeah, I of think, course. Yeah, I think it is very and, and positive I, these days. I, and lots of people wrapped, uh, go straight to the, the two in midfield. Uh, you know, this formation for me is, it's got lots of triggers. It's got triggers in midfield. It's got triggers in wide areas. It's all about your distances and positioning of your wide players, how aggressive you are. They're your temperature gauge. Those two players, if you're under the cost, they drop in and make it closer to a five. If you want to be aggressive, they just disappear out the pitch. And I just felt in some of the early games that we played with certain personnel, we were too deep. And we didn't have the players we wanted to play in those positions. They were playing within themselves. I think we're much more tactically aware about our positioning on the pitch. And we are much more connected. So when you play that formation, you're looking for connections and triangles. You're looking for inside forwards and wing back to connect. You're looking for overloads and connections. You're looking for strikers to connect. But what you have is a, you can close your eyes, you can see the formation spread across the pitch. And it's very important that you realise that. And now we seem to be settled in it. But you know what I'm saying? It's the next game. You can go to a back four. Mustafi could be right back. In a back four against a you know, physical Everton team with Calvert-Lewin is very good in the air. We might go back four with like four centre-halves and stay in and don't give them the size to run into to get encouraged and head it away and worry about the second ball. Every game is different. We have to be aware of that. We're going to set up away games that we might need something else completely and we might need some more physicality and, and, and that could happen. So the formation is what it is. For me, what's been the difference has been the fact that everyone's bought into what the manager's trying to tell them. That's the key difference. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting, right? Like the, the, the one thing that I will say, though, is again, I mean, you look at the choice of, of Ozil and Ramsey and Lacazette and the way that they can all play together. I mean, if that's Ganduzi, Torreira, you know, Aubameyang shunted out on the wing with Iwobi, I you know, I just don't know if it can be as dynamic. So, yeah, do you want to come back on that? Or, no, no. <laughs> that wasn't me as somebody else. Oh, okay, think, um, yeah, everybody's you know groaning it's, at me right now. I, you know what? It's, it's like it's a normal funny, day for me. It's funny about the Torreira thing. It's just how football goes, right? You know, three, four months ago, he was like it. We're thinking he's going to Barcelona. He gets suspended, has gets a bit tired, goes away to international duty. We've all forgotten about him. And are you telling me in these five away games, he's not going to, well, I'm not sure how many he can play, but are you telling me he's not going to come back into his team and be absolutely significant to steal oh, yeah. the ball and transition team? Of it's just the way the season, you know, you know, we haven't spoken about, well, we may have touched on him 
Iwobi last night. I, I was very disappointed in him. It, it was but not a good game. And you know what? Because, mate, we got seven games to go. This isn't a time to lose your form, son. Do you know what I mean? Well, but, this but is do you not think, the time. I mean, I, I just felt that he was superfluous to the to the game we were playing. I mean, he was bypassed for the for Kolasinac on the overlap quite a bit. Um, you know, the ball was coming to, to Ozil and Ramsey on the edge of the area looking to play, exchange, exchange the ball with Lacazette or play in Kola. And I just felt that Iwobi didn't really ever establish himself. I don't know that he was actively yeah. poor so much as he was just a little bit yeah. invisible. But before the break, and I, I just I just got his feeling before the break that he was really getting into form and really developing into something. Yeah, no, that's fair. Goes mm-hmm. away, comes back, and he puts in that performance. I just didn't see it coming. And this isn't a time for for people to to feel sorry for themselves and not play well. Well, it's too important for the club, and I, I think he needs to. Maybe it's about pairings. Shape up quick. I mean, maybe for him, a front three of Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, and Awobi gives him a very clear role. And and you know maybe when it's Lacazette and Ramsey and Ozil are in there. You know, maybe it's a different setup. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting, Tim, is that the manager has been willing to play with one up front, and this is a big storyline, I think, because so so. Let me give you the numbers because I I think it is sort of interesting. Um, in the in the eight matches preceding the Bate Borisov loss, Emery started with Aubameyang and Lacazette together in seven of the previous eight Premier League fixtures. Okay, so the two started together, mm. and that was a bad run of form for us, and it coincided largely with Mkhitaryan not being available. Since Mkhitaryan's come back, and since that Bate loss, he's started six of eight with only one of them up top. And I'm curious mm. to get your take just on the difference of Arsenal with one of the strikers on the pitch up top, not to suggest that they can't both play together, but usually when he was using them both together, it wasn't like what he did against United, where they were dual strikers with Ozo behind. Aubameyang was getting shunted out to the wing. So, I mean, Mkhitaryan's return has certainly had an influence on that, but, but it's more than that because Mkhitaryan didn't play in this game. How do you feel about you know, his willingness now to play with just one of the two strikers and the difference it makes for us? Yeah, I, I think that does come down to the options again. I think that's pretty much always been his preference because what it what it does is it just makes um, it just makes the lines a little bit cleaner. It makes the distances a little bit nicer yeah. um, between the kind of like, having like having three guys basically in number ten positions um, behind uh, behind the strikers it just just works a little bit better for us. It just um, it it creates. You can see all the connections, basically. Um, you can see where you know the ball will go to someone like Jacques or Genduzi, and then you know Genduzi, who are, who I thought was very up and down last night, um, but you know he he played some really good like progressive passes. And when you've got you know the likes of Ramsey Özil, Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, like taking it on the half turn, you know Özil's always there to bump off of Ramsey kind of bombing forward. I think it's, it's just like, it's a bit more variety, isn't it effectively? And it's, it's slightly less predictable And the game. I think I'd go back to as the, uh, the kind of opposite exemplar was West Ham January, where we played a five, three, two, and we played Lacazette and Aubameyang up front. And basically what happened was they stood there on the edge of the 18 yard box for the whole game, just watching the ball not come to them effectively and just fighting for scraps. And, and it just didn't work because, you know, we left Ramsey on the bench that day. We didn't even have Ozil on the bench. Mkhitaryan was injured. 
And it was effectively, it was just like Iwobi trying to run the ball from the defence up to the strikers. And and now, you know, the, the, the connections are a little bit cleaner. Um, they're a little bit nicer. And, and, and I do think this is probably the way that that Emery's wanted to play, but we have had lots of good performances, particularly at home, I think, with uh, with Lacazette and Aubameyang doing that really nice kind of split striker thing, which then leaves a big gap for someone like Ramsey to run into. I, I think that works, but um, but generally speaking, yeah, I, I think we look better kind of with three number 10s kind of floating around behind a central striker. And I think the beauty of it is that that suits both of our strikers as well. And it leaves you something in reserve. And we know this has been a theme of uh, what Emery's done all season is sharing game time between players. So doing that 60, 30, 70, 20 thing. Um, And, and yeah, I I think it's, I've, I've always felt, even when I've maybe wavered on Emery at points in the season, I've always felt that that was a smart way to manage the, the attackers he's been given. Cause we've been saying for over a year now, it's actually quite unbalanced, but he's, he's kind of, he spotted that quite early, I think. And rather than like trying to cram loads of kind of square pegs into round holes, he's, He's rotating it nicely, I think. I think he I think he has done that largely all season, other than the period perhaps where Mikatarian wasn't available and he froze Urzil out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Mikatarian just really quickly. I'll stay with you for a second, Tim, before uh letting Paul wrap up the podcast, which is a dangerous way to go, but we'll see how it how it works out. <laughs> um so Tim, I mean Mikatarian doesn't play in this game. I think since he's come back from injury, he's been our best player. Um advanced metrics, which everybody loves and no one ever has a problem with have him at dominantly like our highest XG and XA per 90 player since he's been back. He's just been really, really good. He's been asked to do a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was dropped in at, at fullback, I believe, for one of the games. Was that the Ren game when we were down to 10? Yeah, yeah. Where, admittedly, we, we got run, but he was really good, I thought. Um, point is, I, I was shocked that he didn't start and shocked that he didn't come off the bench. And I'm wondering, does Emery view him as so important you know, when he's getting up there in age that he's just like, we've got this game, I'm going to keep him wrapped in cotton wool. You have any sort of armchair psychologist for us on, on uh, him not playing? A, a little. He, he did come on um, just after the second goal. Yes. So he, yeah, I guess for what was it, like four minutes or something like that? Yeah, or, something you know, like mistake. that. Yes, apologies. But, uh, ten. Ten but, um, minutes. You know what? Let me restate the question. How do you feel about him only playing ten, <laughs> ten minutes of the game and not starting the game there? How's that? So we'll edit I, that in I, post. I... <laughs> I'd lean towards what you said at the end there, which is not so much that he's become so important. Um, Well, he has become important, but look at the games we've got coming up. Now we've got the away game. We've got Everton. Then we've got Napoli. Then we've got Watford away. Then we've got Napoli away. You know, those four games Mm. um, are going to be really, really tough, especially back to back. And I think he will want Mkhitaryan in pretty much all of those. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the next four games. Um, and that's probably why he felt like Newcastle was a game where he thought, OK, I can sit him down for this one. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I just wonder, so then, Paul, I mean, to wrap up, we look ahead to a game uh, that we have on Sunday, which I will actually be in New York City for. So if you're in the New York area and you want to have a pint, I'll probably be drinking bourbon. A pint of bourbon. <laughs> it's Everton away. Uh, Everton away. I mean, look, I'm not saying they're anything great. We haven't been great away. Why don't you sort of look in, in your crystal ball and tell me what you think he's going to do? There's absolutely no possible way you predict, predict this correctly, but do you think he sticks with the one up front and just rotates it to Aubameyang? Does Mkhitaryan come back in and start? 
I think it's pretty clear right now that this back three formation is just getting the balance right. So I suspect he'll stay with that. But you have any you have any inkling of, of what he might do? I mean, unfortunately, we play Sunday, Thursday. Um, I wonder if he'll take that into account a little bit too. Yeah, no, I don't I don't know what he will do, except that he's on a bit of a run with this three at the back. Uh, hopefully have Koscielny back. He won't have Torreira back for the Everton game. He's not back um, yet? Gosh, how, really? No, he misses one more game. It's, so, it's a three-match ban, right? Yeah. yeah. So he has yeah. to miss, miss three matches then, right? Yeah. So Everton will be the third match. So he can't come back. He has to miss three because it's a three-match so, ban. Okay, I think yeah. I get it now. Cool, thank you. Uh, you know, we might have Ch- Chaka in the mix there. It's hard to know who to drop. Maybe Ozil's the casualty. I could see us playing uh, pretty much this setup, but with Mikatarian and Wobi behind Lacazette uh, and bring Aubameyang off the bench, as we did in this game, depending on whether we need the, the goal or not. So... Um, just on the basis of continuity and winning form, um, I could see us uh, keeping it pretty similar with maybe Chaka in the mix alongside. But then who does he play again? Doozy or Ramsey? I think at the moment he plays Chaka and and Ramsey as the two in the middle. Uh, but maybe Mikatari in the head instead of Ozil and keep everything else pretty similar. If Koscielny's back... Uh, Put Koscielny in the middle and Socrates over to the right instead of Mustafi. Otherwise, keep it similar. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited to see what he does these days, whereas before I think I was kind of nervous about what he would do. I, I think one thing that's changed is we're all starting to trust his instincts a little more. And I mean, maybe we always should have. You know, obviously, I never lose faith. I just express my faith in different ways, um, is what I would say. But I said I was going to let Paul... Um, wrap up the pod and here's an example of me expressing my faith in different ways i'm gonna let clive have a final word clive uh i'll give you my prediction i think he goes with the back three again and i think the three picks itself if everybody's fit so it'll be koscielny socrates and nacho if they're all fit it'll be kolasinac and maitland niles i think he will go shaka ramsey i think he will go ozil obamian lacazette the same lineup he used against united at home uh, alternatively, if he doesn't do that, I think he will go Awobi, Obamiyang, and Mkhitaryan up front. So I've given myself an out there. What about you? Uh, sorry, J- Clive. Just be the one thing I'd say about Mkhitaryan mm-hmm. is he played the two international games from the start, and and that's why I think he might have just maybe rested him for the next game. Very sorry, good Clive. insight that I would have had if I pay attention to international football, but I try to yep. pretend it doesn't exist. I think between us we've covered all the scenarios there, right? And I think um, so. We're right. Congratulations to we, us. We will be right when we get replay. I think I say those Arsenal region boys know their onions, right? So uh, I think Mikatarian for me away days plays a bit like Maitland Niles. If you ever notice, wherever wherever he is, he does not lose his space. He wins his area, and you can trust him no matter where you go. And um, I quite like that about him. And that's not always been the case for our players. So I think away from home, we need to establish ourselves in this game, particularly Everton. Uh, and I'll make a prediction now. If we beat Everton and Watford, we're going to get that top four. I think that's where it's going to shape up because I think the pressure will start to tell on other teams. And I think they're going to think we're on a big roll. I think that's enough. I think we'll get the confidence on winning a couple of away games and I think the the whole psychological thing about our way form will disappear very very quickly Everton is the key game throw everything at that if you get something from that we shouldn't lose the neighbours over the hedge 
right? We should take them and um, we'll have a good support in that ground. So I think um, that'll be the positive one. So Everton is mm. the tricky one. We've got to win that. Everything we've got. Forget about other games. Throw everything at that game. Don't think about Napoli. Don't think about anything else. Because I think if we take Everton, that will set everything up for the other games for the rest of the season. Yeah, we need it. We need to show that we can win away because if we can win away, we are going to finish top four and we are going to finish ahead of Spurs and we're going to have a St. Totteringham's Day to celebrate and we are going to be laughing our collective asses off and we are going to win the Champions League next season and we are going to be uh, the most successful club in the history of football. So it'll all be good. Uh, That was just sort of how things are going to logically follow. I want to let you know that we are... uh, Probably, I think it's safe to say, the podcast with the greatest listeners in the history of podcasts. We love you, and we love you so much for uh, voting for us in the the FBAs. Um, We are a finalist to win Best Podcast. I don't know how this happens, but it does. If you want to tweet out, I am voting for at Arsenal V Podcast in the at the FBAs for hashtag Best Podcast. You can. If you didn't follow that in audio with the way I talk and the fact that you're listening on 2x speed, (laughs) don't worry. It'll all be on our website and stuff. We'll take care of it. We are going to do another shirt giveaway. Um, And I promise this is not... No, I don't promise. This is an inducement for you to vote for us. This is blackmail. This is a bribe. We will give you a shirt. The only problem is we're only going to give one of you a shirt. We probably need more than one vote. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're going to do another shirt giveaway. So uh, keep an eye on the Twitter account and the the website and Facebook and stuff. We'll have information on you can win the Arsenal shirt of your choice. We're long overdue in doing that. So uh, do that. Watch us on YouTube. Sign up for Patreon. Get on the Discord chat. If you're in Patreon, you get a private chat, and it's actually quite a bit of fun. But if you don't want to do that, totally understood. In any event, Tim's on Twitter. No. 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 God. You are... The death of all things good. Um, it's FBA season. This is what FBA I did last year. Yeah, work to treat. There you go. Uh, Tim's on Twitter, Stoberto. Thank you, Tim, for for putting up with this. My pleasure as always. <laughs> is it though? And Paul's on Twitter. Pausing in my pants. Block him there. Thanks, Paul. Welcome. Clive's on Twitter. Clive AFC. Thank you, Clive. <laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. Blockman Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review. Write nasty things about Paul. 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 More Paul. Uh, also Welcome. Scott. Yeah. All of that. Hey, we love you. We do. We love you. And we are going to talk to you again after Arsenal ten Everton nil. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com